through selling to-go beverages and then reopening to the public and being now fully open as a bar again, we have seen a substantial increase in non-alcoholic cocktails. Welcome to the Diageo Bar Academy podcast, Bar Chat. This is your host, Tristan Stevenson. Today, I am speaking with John Lee and Alex Jump. John is beer specialist at Diageo, working specifically with Guinness and the newly launched non-alcoholic Guinness in a can, Guinness 0.0. Alex is the bar manager at Death & Co. Cocktail Bar in Denver, Colorado, and the host of the Focus on Health podcast. On this episode, we discuss the non-alc drinks category, its growth, trajectory, and the current state of play. We talk specifically about Guinness 0.0, the various ways you can and can't brew a zero-alcohol beer, and the technical challenges associated with doing it. Alex reveals how the non-out cocktail menu at Death & Co. has been received, and together we hypothesize why consumers might be drawn to non-out drinks in the first place, and how these drinks or products can best be designed to meet differing drinking occasions. Hope you enjoy the conversation as much as I did. Welcome to the studio for this episode of Bar Chat. I am joined by Alex Jump and John Leahy. Hey guys, how you doing? Good morning. Good, how are you? Good, good. I'm glad to have you on. Guys, could I get you both to uh, introduce yourself? Tell, tell me a little bit about um, what it is you do and how you got there. So uh, my name is John Leahy. I'm one of the beer specialists in St. James' Gate in Dublin. Um, I started working for Guinness just over three and a half years ago now and uh, I suppose the role has involved many things. When the last um, last little while, I've been doing a lot of work um, with the teams on zero zero and its method of dispense um, in bars around Ireland. Oh, yeah. How about you, Alex? Uh, my name is Alex Jump. I'm the bar manager at Death & Co. in Denver, Colorado. Um, I've been working in bars and restaurants for uh, almost 14 years, coming up, coming up on 14 years, and I've been behind bars uh, for nine years, coming up on 10. Um, I started bartending in Tennessee in a, a smaller a smaller city and um, really wanted to learn and grow uh, as a you know young, hungry bartender. And so ended up managing bars when I was quite young and moved to Denver when I was 25 uh, with the hopes of opening Death & Co. Uh, was hired with them a year after I moved here to open the bar and I've been working there for the last four years almost so uh, this is actually the second bar chat episode we've done that focuses around um no alcohol low alcohol um products whether that's spirits beers whatever um and in the first episode we talked a lot about sort of use cases and flavors and that kind of thing and in this episode um what we really want to try and achieve is to learn a little bit more about how these products are actually made um, because, you know, there's a lot of marketing out there around distilling and brood and all this kind of thing. Um, but the sort of, I guess, the magic of these products is that they go through similar processes, or at least seem to, um, but there's no alcohol or very little alcohol at the end. Um, and then sort of once we've got to grips with understanding some of that, then we can sort of start thinking about how they may be used or indeed how we might be able to make similar products in in a bar environment um, using some of these techniques um so 
Perhaps, um, John, you can kick us off and maybe sort of give us an overview of the low and no alcohol space. And, and perhaps because since you work, you know, for Guinness and for Diageo, perhaps how Diageo is sort of approaching this, the new category of, of drinks. Yeah, so I suppose um, there's been a lot of um, non-alcoholic beers on the market now for a good few many years. Um, and I suppose typically in years gone by, the beer would have been brewed typically as normal. Um, and then afterwards, they would heat up the beer um, and basically boiling off the alcohol, if you like. Um, the issue, the main issue with this is that it does affect the flavour profiles, particularly the hops uh, and the aromas as well. So you'll have a beer that will taste kind of a lot sweeter and it won't have the same characteristics that you would have expected it to have with its alcoholic partner, I suppose. Um, so something we've been working on here um, in St. James Gate for a, a good while now. Um, we released a low-alcoholic um, lager a couple of years ago called Pure Brew. And essentially what we did was we used the same Guinness yeast, but we used um, yeast that didn't have such a strong threshold to alcohol. So essentially it would start to um, ferment the um, the sugars as normal. and But as the alcohol content would rise, the yeast would drop off. So it only... Um, it would only ferment to about 0.5% alcohol. So in Ireland, that would be classed as non-alcoholic, but in other markets, it would be considered as low alcoholic or low alcohol. Um, so that's kind of where we started, but then we kind of changed our approach altogether. So um, now with Guinness um, 00 that we've launched a couple of months ago, um, essentially what we do is um, we brew it the exact same way as normal Guinness. So it goes, through, it has the same ingredients. It has malted barley, roasted barley, your hops, your yeast, your water. Um, we um, do our mash, we do our boil, our fermentation as normal, even maturation. And after maturation, this is kind of at the point where you're getting ready to to package it. It's going into keg or can or bottle. And it's at this point we decide, right, this batch here is the one we're going to make non-alcoholic. So what we do is it goes through um, a separate process and it goes through cold filtration. So this is where we actually remove the alcohol from the beer, but it doesn't affect the flavour. So you're still keeping the colour, the flavour, the texture of it. And it's nitrogenated just like normal Guinness is. So it still has that great mouthfeel and that that you kind of expect um, with a Guinness product. So what filtering out alcohol sounds pretty incredible to me. Um, what kind of filtration medium are you using that you know extracts alcohol out of an alcoholic liquid? And is the alcohol recoverable afterwards? I assume so, because I imagine it's vast quantities of alcohol that you wouldn't want to waste. Yeah, so um, essentially what we do is when we're removing the alcohol, a certain amount of the water will come with it. Um, and it is it is retrievable, so we will um, we will use that alcohol around the brewery for various for various things, um, and then obviously the amount of water that has been taken out as well that will be added back in. So essentially, it will have the same. It won't affect the flavour of the beer overall. So the the, the alcohol is um, is recovered and it is used elsewhere, so it doesn't go to waste. Because obviously, as well, um, here in St James Gate, we are kind of conscious and we're always conscious about kind of uh, reusing. Um, and kind of the resources and, and uh, materials that you can as best you can. So that's what we do. Um, and that's it, that's it really. You know, it is a, it is an extra process. So it, does, it is a little bit more time consuming. But then afterwards, um, it is then the beer is then um, we add our CO two, we add our nitrogen, and it goes into uh, into cans with our widgets. So it'll have the same kind of creaminess you'd expect from the Guinness, and it looks the exact same. And it tastes really good too. Uh, John, I'm just curious. Uh, do you know how much volume y'all lose when you go through the process of removing alcohol? 
Guinness, as we would see, um, kind of distributed in can in kegs would typically be about four point two percent alcohol. Um, now we would normally brew above kind of above five percent, so be about five percent um, of the volume of liquid is what we would we would take away, but we don't lose it. We we, we do recover it. We do capture it. So um, it can be used elsewhere in the brewery. It's something that we'd be quite used to because um, like when during fermentation, um, there's an awful lot of CO two is produced. It's a a byproduct, if you like, of the fermentation process. But that CO2, again, is captured and that will be reused in various ways, whether it be carbonating our beers or whether it goes to soft drink companies or that as well. So I'm curious, going back to what you were saying about how traditional ways of removing alcohol from beer by boiling it, you said it ends up with a sweeter type of beer. Why, why, why is that? Normally... Um, for instance, I'm going to go a little bit off topic, but if you were to look at an IPA, typically um, um, an Indian pale ale, uh, traditionally it would have, or, or more modernly, I suppose, recently it would have a, a nice kind of hop aroma. You'd get aromas like citrus, um, fruits, things like that. Um, a beer like that, if you tried to, if you heated it up to remove the alcohol, um, the aromas um, from hop from the hop character are quite delicate. So when they heat up, you will lose that. So for instance, if you tried to heat up an, an IPA to remove the alcohol, um, you would lose that aroma from it. And it does affect the, 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 the kind of characteristics of it as well. Um, as well then, when obviously you're, when you're boiling it up, if you don't be careful, your densities could change as well. And that will give it kind of a, a thicker kind of, uh, kind of liquid or a more dense liquid, which will come across sweeter as well by times could you um as a workaround for the sort of loss of aromatics you know brew a beer without hops um boil the alcohol off and then dry hop it afterwards to introduce those aromatics and obviously you're not creating alcohol in that process yeah so i suppose we have to be careful as well is that you know alcohol is a natural preservative as well and so during the um you know, during the brewing process before fermentation, because you're boiling the liquid, it's essentially sterilizing and cleaning itself. Um, and when you add hops during that process, essentially, um, it will stop, it will kill any microbial growth or that that, that, that may be contained within the hops. Uh, and also, whilst you're dry hopping, it's quite a hostile environment because there's a lot of CO2 being produced and the alcohol as well. Um, so that's where if you um, heat it up, if you don't brew with the hops and you try to add them afterwards, you are taking a risk there with microbial growth and things like that. Um, and as well, you know, um, I suppose it's like baking a cake. If you leave out an ingredient and then mix it in at a later stage, it won't just bond in the same way. So it'll be quite tricky, I suppose, to get them kind of characteristics to gel, if, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, Alex, Tell me a little bit about um, non-alc, you know, Death and Co. and in, in Denver, um, and and generally, you know, how how it's going in the states. Uh, non-alcoholic uh, beverages are selling very well, um, at least at least at my bar. Um, we've offered them on the menu since we since we opened, and we've taken a couple of different like approaches to that. Um, what we found to be the most successful um, from like a a guest service standpoint is to have drinks that are already offered on the menu as an alcoholic beverage that we are able to, um, make non-alcoholic. Um, doesn't always mean that it's the exact same drink just without the alcohol. Um, sometimes it's like a different drink, but it's like inspired by the alcoholic cocktail. Mm. Um, but really we found that 
doing that has like allowed us the best um, like guest interactions because alternatively, uh, when we first opened, we had drinks on the menu that were listed non-alcoholic and they were only available non-alcoholic. Um, and that kind of created a weird, uh, weird moment when somebody would order it and then you made sure that they wanted to order a non-alcoholic drink in the first place and then they didn't. And then they were like, oh, well, let me just add something to that. And then the answer was no, which you never want to do because it feels weird and bad um, yeah. to say no when you physically are able to do it. So, um, yeah, so now we offer, now we have drinks on our cocktail menu that we have recrafted to be non-alcoholic, um, which uh, which go over very well. Um, they're very popular, um, and it's nice to be able to offer that. Yeah, for sure. And what about non-alcoholic beer or wine? Is that something that you stock or sell a lot of? Uh, we actually don't currently stock non-alcoholic beer. Um, I think, you know, up until maybe like five years ago, I would say that I don't feel like there were that many that were like really quality on the market. Um, but in the last like year or two, um, a lot has changed. I actually didn't know that Guinness was putting out an non-alcoholic and that's very exciting. I hope that we're able to serve that uh, in the United States here soon um, because that would definitely be of interest, I think, to um, a lot of people. I've not really experimented with non-alcoholic wine. There's one brand that I see advertised on my Instagram all the time that has incredible graphic design, um, which is compelling. Uh, but I've not tried the the juice itself. I actually got hold of some cans of it back then, and I so I tried it pretty early on. And it's I've got to say, it's really like authentically Guinnessy. Um, I couldn't. I, I was like, as soon as I tried it, I was like, this is a game changer in terms of non-alcoholic beers and I try quite a few different non-alcoholic beers and there are some great ones out there but Guinness um is so fondly thought of by so many people it's uh I, I mean like for your benefit more than ours Alex it's sort of ubiquitous and yet high quality um which is kind of what you want in a product you want something that's delicious but available everywhere like there's not a pub in the land that doesn't sell it and so it's such an amazing fallback product um, when you're not familiar with the beers or, the, or you don't like the rest of the beers that are on tap. So everyone kind of loves it. So a non-out version of that, I think, is, is going to be massive. When the product was being developed, how important was it to ensure that it was 0, 0.0? Because, uh, you know, there's different classifications, aren't there, of, of low and no alcohol in fact am i right in thinking that alcohol free doesn't necessarily mean there's no alcohol right it can still have a small amount in there whereas 0.0 obviously means there's nothing yeah exactly so i suppose um, one thing to note is that um different markets will have different uh kind of regulations around this so correct me if i'm wrong but i believe in the uk non-alcoholic needs to be below 0.05 but in ireland it has to be below 0.5 so, um, for instance, when we had our Pure release, which was 0.5%, that was considered non-alcoholic in Ireland, but low-alcoholic um, in the UK. So, I suppose by going 0.0, um, it just gives you that kind of certainty that it's kind of going to be consistent across markets in terms of how to advertise on that um, and the kind of consistency of it as well. Do you know what the rules are in the US, Alex? Because I, I, was, I was wondering, like, the cocktails you put on your menu, I mean, are they all, you know, 0.0% alcohol or do any of them have, like, for example, a dash of bitters in there, which might constitute, you know, 
a tiny fraction of the drinks volume but obviously contain a little bit of alcohol um we do no bitters uh we do no bitters in our non-alcoholic cocktails just to be sure um we've had we had one non-alcoholic cocktail in the past that did have a dash of like cardamom bitters because it's just like it was a flavor that like we couldn't you know incorporate in a different way at, at the time um but for that drink then there you know every person who ordered it for a non-alcoholic there was the disclaimer of just so you know there are cardamom bitters in this drink. It's one dash, um, but we can leave it out if you would like it us to. Um, and now we just avoid it um, because there, you know, for the kind of the same reason you can just have the consistency. You don't have to take something out that was designed to like provide a specific flavor. So rather we just like the whole flavor to be, um, to be non-alcoholic and not have to have that conversation. So Alex, how are you, you mentioned about um, the serves that you've got on the menu and that you're trying to do sort of non-alc versions of the alcoholic counterpart. How, so how do you go about communicating that exactly on the menu so that there is no confusion and everyone knows what they're getting? We have um, little symbols on the menu that indicate uh, certain things. So um, there's a symbol actually for low alcohol cocktails. We like to indicate those as well. And then there's a symbol for um, non-alcoholic cocktails. It's like just a little red circle with a line through it. Um, And then down at the bottom of the menu, there's a key um, so that when they're reading the menu, ideally they see the key and then they know it. Um, And then on top of that, the the cocktails that are available non-alcoholic show two prices. Um, And they show the alcoholic price first. So they show the more expensive price first. And then they'll show the non-alcoholic price second. So it'll say like, you know, here's the whole cocktail. And then it'll show $16 and then $11. Um, and then often, often the key gets missed because it is very small. Um, and so people will ask us like, oh, why is this drink um, available less expensive? Is it smaller? And then we're like, no, it's actually available non-alcoholic. Yeah, nice, nice. I remember um, a bar that I used to own called Whistling Shop. We did a similar sounding menu. Um, it was actually the last menu I ever did because we sold the place um, about six months after it launched. But it was, I think, I think we did eight drinks and we did the exact same eight drinks in in uh, no alcohol version. So there were sixteen drinks in total, and um, the each drink, as cocktails tend to do, had a sort of theme about it, a sort of set of ingredients, a length to it. Um, you know, whether it's a sort of shorter, stronger, more if it's got the alcohol in, more spirit forward drink, or a longer, fresher, more vibrant one. And right, like like I think you're describing, and I want to hear a little bit more about how you're doing this. Rather than just take the alcohol out, um, we would uh, we would just sort of work out ways to sort of get to that end point using non-alcoholic ingredients. And the drink wouldn't they wouldn't necessarily taste the same, but it would be true to that same sort of concept of the cocktail, the themes around it, the way it makes you feel, the perhaps the circumstances or situation which it's best suited to, um, that kind of thing. So how, how are you? Because I know you said already you're not just taking the alcohol out. So what strategies are you using to, say, replace a gin or replace a whiskey or rum? I mean, I think probably the age spirits are the harder ones to to deal with. It's obviously a lot easier with like a citrus forward daiquiri style cocktail to just take the spirit out. And maybe maybe you replace it with a non-alcoholic spirit like seed lip um, if you... You want an interesting, you know, like additional flavor profile to be added um, or just don't put it in at all and you just 
bring up the citrus juice and the, your sugars and everything. Um, but it gets very difficult with, for, you know, the old fashioned, right? Because you can't just take the whiskey out right. and then just be like, oh, I'll just put more Demerara syrup in a glass or, uh, you know, you, you lose so much um, because that drink is so complex with very few ingredients. Um, and so one thing that we've started thinking about is, um, you know, what other ingredients can provide a similar, uh, like mouthfeel, um, whiskey, for instance, is dry, um, a dry and, and could be perceived as bitter. Um, and so, you know, we found that black tea, uh, oversteeped can be like a good, um, substitute for that in a lot of ways. Mm. Um, so, for actually, I I just had to make a non-alcoholic version of my old fashioned on the menu currently, and um, what I ended up deciding to do for that one actually was make a clarified milk punch, um, which is obviously not an old fashioned, um, but it drinks similar to one, um, and you can incorporate a lot of the same flavors. This one was particularly difficult because the old fashioned version uses um, banana liqueur and a hazelnut eau de vie um, and vanilla syrup. And so I was trying to figure out how to incorporate banana and hazelnut into this non-alcoholic drink um, to make it feel like you're drinking a spiritist drink. And what I ended up deciding to do is making a, like a roasted banana and hazelnut, like cane syrup or jot or whatever you want to call it. Um, and then use that sounds it. tasty. That sounds very tasty indeed. I want that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and, but now you're obviously navigating like allergies and, you know, all, all kinds of other things. Um, but, it, uh, but it, it becomes uh. like a fun, it, becomes one of the most difficult creative processes you can go through to take an alcoholic drink that already exists and find a way to relate those flavor profiles in a non-alcoholic way. Can you just make a beer flavor and put it into water um, and then probably add some sort of like textural component to sort of thicken it up and carbonate it, obviously? And it's sort of a little bit like what you're describing. It's like, right, well, you know, I want to simulate the flavors of bourbon. Well, what does bourbon taste like? It tastes like wood vanilla banana hazelnut you know all these things well whatever you want this sort of pseudo bourbon to to taste like so why don't i just use those raw ingredients and see if in the right ratio they create the flavor of that spirit it's a little bit like creating a cocktail really um you know where you you're mixing together ingredients to get to an end point it's just that in this situation that end point is already quite well defined it's the flavor of bourbon or it's the flavor of gin or rum or whatever it might be um, and this is where I think it's a fascinating exercise for bartenders and bar operators to explore non-alc within their own premise. You know, there's some, there's some great bottled products available, some great canned Guinness products available as well in the non-alc space. But isn't it fun to try and kind of recreate the flavor profile of these products from scratch using ingredients that we've already got behind the bar? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, there are some... Uh, you know, for instance, the aviary put out their non-alcoholic recipe, uh, book, um, where they recreated like every spirit and non-alcoholic, which is amazing. I think that, um, for certain bars, like that's an amazing resource to have. Um, but, uh, you know, for others, perhaps like we feel a little bit more like, uh, looking for the challenge in a way of, uh, maybe not trying to completely replicate a, f a flavor of a spirit, but instead like, yeah, like you were saying, like replicate the way you feel when you drink it. Um, and that doesn't have to necessarily be just from uh, 
just from the like fake spirit. Tasting like the spirit. Right, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um, is there any th- ingredients that you use um, that might sort of go some way towards simulating the heat or the burn or the intensity or that sort of lively mouthfeel that alcohol gives you? Like, have you, for example, explored using uh, Sichuan pepper or chili or something with some heat that could that could go some way towards replacing the loss of alcohol? Yeah, no, uh, we haven't. Um, I, d- I do know that there are non-alcoholic spirits that um, that are using that um, to help create a, a, a mouthfeel, but we haven't done that in our non-alcoholic cocktails. I think for me, like, the least important part about, like, making a non-alcoholic cocktail is like making it physically feel like you're drinking alcohol. Like I almost like that. It doesn't feel that way. You know, like it doesn't need to burn when you, when you drink it or, um, have a heat to it. Um, yeah. I mean, I guess it depends what you're trying to get out of the experience. Right. I think my, my sort of intuitions with it are towards, making the trans making the the sort of illusion seem as realistic as possible but i'm sure that's not the way it is for everyone i mean going back to the guinness you know i want it to look exactly the same as a normal gillis i want it to be served in exactly the same glass i want it to be the same temperature i want it to feel the same way in the mouth and i want it to taste as close to guinness as possible but without the negative effects of you know alcohol if i have two or three pints of of Guinness 0.0. And I feel like for me, I think I want my cocktails to be in the same way. You know, if I want to try and recreate that, that particular situation and experience of sipping a Manhattan, but, you know, without the whiskey, then serve it to me in the same glass, serve it the same temperature, same garnish, same music, same lighting, same bartender, same, you know, standard of service. And also, yeah, when I take that sip, I want it to be cold and bracing and perhaps ever so slightly hot on the palate because that's what I am looking for for that experience of drinking a Manhattan. If I don't get that, then, you know, fine. I might get 90% of the way there, but the the remaining 10% feels like something's lacking. Um, and I guess that's where my question's coming from. It's like, do we need to compensate for that loss of alcohol or is it actually not necessary? I don't know. Personally, I don't think that that needs to be recreated, but I do still recognize that you never will reach that like 100% um, like replication. Uh, so in terms of the reception of the non-alcoholic cocktails, um, how is the sales split at the moment? And have you seen it change much over the last year or, or how, how long have you been doing it? We've been, um, we've been selling non-alcoholic cocktails since we opened. So three and a half years. Um, and I definitely think that every year we see a percentage rise, uh, in, in non-alcoholic sales, but I would say, uh, through selling to go beverages and then reopening to the public and being now fully open as a bargain, um, we we have seen a substantial increase in non-alcoholic cocktails uh, over the year 2020 and 2021. Um, and now that we're reopened, I would say we probably have 
um, at least twice as many people asking for non-alcoholic drinks as we had before. It's still pretty low. I would say it's probably like 90% alcoholic to 10% non-alc or so. Um, but that's significantly mm. higher than it, than it was in the past. It's a strange one, isn't it? It's like, is the dog wagging the tail or the tail wagging the dog? Like you wonder, you know, are people, are there, are, obviously having the option to not drink alcohol is great. Having options is always great. But there's also quite a lot of hype around non-alcoholic products at the moment as well. So I think people who, you know, aren't that necessarily that kind of, um, you know, concerned about monitoring their alcohol intake are just trying it for the sake of it because they're interested in trying it and it, because it's, you know, it's popular at the moment and it's in, on trend. Um, do you think that trend is going to continue? Do you think, or, or do you think it's possible that actually we'll see a movement back towards more alcoholic drinks just because, you know, that's what people most strongly associate with going to a cocktail bar? I think the trend will continue. I hope that it does. Um, I think that there are more people that don't drink who just currently don't go out. And I hope that they start coming out and enjoying, uh, you know, our, our spaces and um, our food and non-alcoholic options. So I definitely hope that the trend continues upward. I also think that there's nothing wrong with enjoying a handful of cocktails and also having a non-alcoholic cocktail through the evening uh, too. And I think that that might become a little bit more normalized as well. What do you think about bars that only do non-alcoholic drinks like um, you know, specialist cocktail bars that that's all they do. There's not a drop of alcohol in the place. We actually have one here in Denver. Um, it's called Awake. Oh, right. Um, it's new. Um, I think they're awesome. I've, I've admittedly not been, um, but I, I'm not honestly not really going out very much at all right now. Um, but I think they're awesome. And I think that they, they fill a very important void. I hope that, I hope that there's enough business to support them because I think that they're very important. Uh, it's called Awake. Do they, do they just replace all the alcohol of caffeine? <laughs> they do have caffeine. <laughs> they do have caffeine, but they have a really amazing selection of non-alcoholics. Wait, is this a coffee shop? It's both a bar and a coffee shop. It's, yeah, um, right. it's very similar to Death & Co. in that way. Yeah, they're open uh, all day and, and into the evening. And uh, John, where do you see the future of, of non-alcoholic? Do you think it's going to continue to progress, this movement? Are we going to see Guinness... 0.0 eventually eclipse its uh, more established, currently more established sibling. Um, what's your what's your forecast? Yeah, so I suppose um, it's kind of interesting because it really depends on the age group. Because um, when I go to my local and all the regulars that are there don't share the same enthusiasm um, as I would um, around um, non-alcoholic beer. But when you get to the, uh, the younger age groups, they're a lot more open to it. And people could be, you know, not drinking alcohol for various, a number of various reasons. Um, so I suppose initially when you asked me the question about, um, about um, kind of Guinness zero, zero overtaking Guinness, I would have said no. But if you kind of look at it um, from a younger def- uh, demographic, um, it could change. And who's, who's to know which way it will go, I suppose. Hmm. Alex and I are, you know, involved in cocktail bars, and that's relatively niche, especially at the sort of high-end type of service that not necessarily everyone is exposed to. They don't live in a city, or you know, they, you know, they don't want to spend money on cocktails. Whereas Guinness, a product that's available in supermarkets and in pubs, um, is you know extremely mainstream. And so, if that can start getting you know, mainstream consumers, people who are exposed to it to turn to non-out products when the situation requires it, then it may have, you know, a knock-on effect in all other areas. Wine, I mean, wine's probably the next big one, right? 
you know, we've seen a lot of work with beer over the last five years. Um, Alex, you mentioned the wine that keeps getting marketed to you on Instagram, um, the name of which will remain um, anonymous. But um, if, if someone can nail the, you know, non-alcoholic sparkling wine, for example, that really does taste great and has that same effect because it's another product a bit like Guinness, really, where it's all about the sort of situation and creating a, a look and a feel um, of, you know, drinking fizzy wine for celebration or whatever. Um, I think that that's a great target for um, a brand with lots and lots of money to throw at a non-out project. So really interesting stuff. Thanks guys so much for coming on and, um, and chatting about this. Uh, I think it's a super exciting time. Um, I think non-out's gone through a, a, you know, a process over the last few years where it, there's been kind of test case examples of products coming out and really kind of showing that there is a potential market and now we're starting to see some incredible innovation coming through um which you know makes it all the more exciting and that's innovation both from the brand side of things and in in the bars um which you know both of you have, have highlighted some excellent examples of that today so it's it, it I'm, I'm really excited about the future of the category and I just love the opportunity to be able to taste really delicious drinks, whether it's beer or cocktails, and not have to worry about the alcohol side of things um, in the process. So that's awesome. Um, thanks, guys. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, thank you so much for having us. All right. And thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Diageo Bar Academy Bar Chat Podcast. Follow and subscribe now to pick up on future episodes or listen back to episodes so far. And remember to rate and review as you listen. See you next time.